McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Bobby fans, and Bob's PO4 class episode 112. Well, we asked for a revolution, and that's what we're getting. As Pompey cull the playing squad, what's next to come? Joining the podcast today is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? I'm doing all right, Hugh. Yeah, not so bad. Um, enjoyed all the playoff football I've been watching, and yeah, we, well, we asked for a cull, didn't we? <laughs> but it, it seems to be top to bottom from staff to players, all sorts, and it seems that yeah, it, it's reminiscent of a bit when Paul Cook came in in League Two. It reminds me of that similar. No, nothing, nothing left in the foundations, and yeah, there's going to be a lot of change over the next month or so. It's pretty clear, though, isn't it, that things have got stale. Stale under jacket. He was there too long. You know, Mark Catlin will come on to that. He was there too long as well to a certain level. Everything's got stale and now it's time to clear house. So first of all, we're going to talk about the players and staff colour at Portsmouth. Following from that, we've got Liam from the MK1 podcast. That's the Milton Keynes Don's podcast. People who don't know, he's been on the show a couple of times, but he's back on the podcast to talk to us about the new Pompey CEOs. We'll talk about that. And then we're going to speak about, we went out to you guys because we want to know what you think of the changes at Pompey. So we've got loads of questions and people messaged in, so we'll get to them. And finally, that was it, wasn't it, Freddie? That was it. All right, there's no game to preview. Right, let's start it off then. Let's get cracking. Players at Portsmouth. There's been a lot of talk about it. Let's start with Craig McGivery. He's the most high-profile player we've discussed. So Craig McGivery had an option in his contract. Within that would be a pay rise and the club could sign him for a further year. They haven't taken up that option. It looks like Craig will be moving on to pastures new. Freddie, what's your reaction about Craig McGivery being moved on and Pompey potentially bringing in a new goalkeeper? In my opinion, that's the biggest risk that Danny Cowley is taking here, to be honest with you. He's obviously player of the season, so player of the season curse is continuing. <laughs> Another one that looks set to be leaving. He's one of the few people in the squad who had any credit from that last game on Sunday. And overall, throughout most of the season, he's been very consistent. At one point, statistically, the best goalkeeper in the league in terms of saving high qualities of shots. I think he's an excellent keeper and deserves to stay. But it seems that Danny Cowley's taking a pragmatic decision. He could label it like that. He's looking at the wages that he's going to have to give McGilvery because his stock's high comparing it to his budget looking at the rest of the squad and he probably thinks well with that money I can improve the rest of the squad and maybe have another option at goalkeeper obviously we have Alex Bass still who I rate very highly still he, his development has been 
stopped by injuries this season. But beforehand, during that stint, uh, when he was number one last season, I thought he didn't look, he'd look out of place. I thought he played very well. High prevented goals statistic, which, again, for people who don't know, it's to do with him saving certain quality of shots. He was very good at that. Same with McGilvery as well. So that's an option. Maybe they're thinking, will Bass come in as first choice? And maybe he's looking at it where the money we save on Bass by getting rid of McGilvery and having Bass instead can be put to the rest of the squad. Or he'll look at entirely new goalkeepers entirely. Uh, we don't know. But personally, I think it's too much of a risk. I think we should have done a lot more to sign McGilvery than we have done, put it that way. Yeah, it's a, it is a risk, as you said, and I do think that's right. I do trust Danny Cowley to, to the level of assessing players at this moment in time. I think that if, if, for instance, you can get a player who he thinks is equal and he thinks that Alex Bass can come in and do the same sort of job that Craig McGivery did on reduced wages and we can go and spend that money on a striker or getting a new central midfielder or something we need, then you know I'm all for that. I don't think there's a problem with that for me as long as we recruit a goalkeeper Yeah, exactly. who I it think would... is good enough or Alex Bass steps up and becomes that goalkeeper. Now, there's obviously a risk there for sure, but we can't really say yay or nay on it really until we see the, the goalkeepers who come in. Yeah, exactly. That decision entirely hinges on who comes in and that more than just the goalkeeper position with the rest of the squad as well. Um, he said to Neil Allen in the news that he wanted preferably in total three goalkeepers. So that's roughly two first-team goalkeepers and a prospect because Tyler Seymour and Duncan Turnbull both left. So we don't have really a prospect keeper either. And that makes sense. Either you could take the route where you think in order for Alex Bass to reach his potential, you need to have a full season under his belt so they could send him out on loan and then find another keeper. They're linked with is it Josh Griffiths from West Brom. Who was, who, who was on loan at Cheltenham. There are multiple ways they could go, but we're going we're gonna to touch on the three key players who are out of contract. Naylor, Watmore and McGilvery. I think personally, they should, they, 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 in my opinion, they need to keep one of them just to keep a tiny bit of continuation and a bit of, um, bit of continuity and a bit of security in the spine of the team because we know McGilvery is an excellent keeper at this level. And so I, 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 him coming into next season, that would have been one position where you think, okay, that's what we have. Whereas if we lose all of them, which might happen considering the money and so on, it leaves more stuff up in the air than I think there needs to be. But hey, we've asked for a cull and we're definitely getting it at the moment. Let's quickly go into Tom Naylor. Looks like there's a lot of rumours around. Obviously, you still have the contract offer. Looks like he could be off. There's talk about him going to, to Mansfield, for instance, isn't there? He would be the star player, but he's got to drop down into League Two in order to do that. I mean, there's a lot of transfer rumours out there. But if Tom Naylor does move on, I think that I discussed this with Andy and he wasn't sure last time in the podcast. And I can say this because he's not well today, so he's not on the pod. But he said that maybe we shouldn't be talking about replacing the captain, but I think this is exactly the right time to get a new captain in and a new leader to lead this revolution. The changing room needed refreshing, and that's pretty obvious with all the moves that, that, that have been going on. I like Tom Nader as a player. I think personally, at the start of the season, he was excellent. I do like his defensive capabilities, but in a Danny Cowley team, I don't think his passing is good enough, personally. 
especially with a range of passing as well. Whenever he tries to go for a riskier ball, it usually doesn't it doesn't go where he wants it to go. His performances did drop off at the end of the season, personally. In my personal opinion, from watching him, yeah, you could argue it's due to fatigue. He was he in some games he looked like he was carrying an injury, and we didn't have the depth to share that load. The Pompey didn't have the depth to share the game time, so he had to start every game. Rough situation. But but really, if they wanted to keep Tom Nader, they would have probably had to overpay him, a, a rise on what he's on already. Offered him a multi-year deal when he's going into his 30s and probably get another centre-defensive midfielder to share the minutes with him. And I think Danny Cowley probably looked at it and went, yeah, probably not. So if he goes to another team where they might offer him what he's on at Portsmouth now, whatever it is, or they might offer him a bit more than that. They might just say, look, we're, we're going to make a run for promotion. We'll pay you, whatever. Take the Mansfield thing, for example. He'll be the star player in that division, in that division and for that team, won't he? He'll be captain, probably. It reminds me a bit of Guy Roberts dropping down to League Two to play for Portsmouth. It's of, it's of that ilk. So I don't think Portsmouth are, A, in the position to give him a raise, and there are still questions over whether he deserves it. What do you think? No, I don't think so. I think it's the right time now to to thank Tom for everything he has done at the club because he has been a great servant to the club, etc. But maybe Kenny Jacket was right. He seemed like a winter player, got into spring and he dropped off, right? But um, fuck's sake. <laughs> Sorry, I hate that phrase. But no, Tom Tom's been an excellent player for the majority. He's been a great of player for us. I think yeah. that's I think that's the case with most of the players we're talking about leaving. For the majority of the time, they were excellent players in terms of well, well, all the all the effort and and hard work they gave most of the time. And it's just, but it's just that it's just coming to the end of a, of a chapter of a book, and we're about to read a new one. It's so, a little bit like when you finish a TV show, isn't it? Really, and you're not really sure what's coming next because your whole life's been spent watching that show for the time on Netflix, and then you get that horrible feeling when you're like, "What am I going to? What am I going to watch now?" Mm, um, mm. I don't know if that's everyone else, but that's definitely just me. But no, I think it's the right time to part way with Tom. When when Tom looks a little bit off game, he starts trying to try too hard and then he starts trying to spread the play. It's not his strengths. Please just side foot it to Ben Close and let him pass the ball, Tom. It's my feeling the whole time and it seems to get worse and worse. So I'm happy for a Cowley to bring in maybe a younger, more energetic, combative midfielder who can also bring the ball up a little bit and pass it. Um, you've just got to look at the success of teams like Barnsley at the moment. I know they lost 1-0 to Swansea in the playoffs, but whatever. Let's be they still honest, played very well in that game. Yeah, out of all the playoffs, out of all the playoff games, that was the most interesting one. Where Barnsley, it, it, it was just how aggressive they played, and it, and it wasn't too um, a detriment. They were, they were pragmatic in terms of they didn't just have the philosophy and go, okay, we're only doing short passing, we're only going to play through the team. The only thing that they did throughout the entire game was high uh, aggressive high press, and it nearly caught Swansea out a few times. And I think that's how that's how I would like Portsmouth to play with a preference, and I think with a load of the free agents that are coming up, Cowley could potentially build a team around that philosophy. I mean, Barnsley played a little bit more direct, I'd say, than maybe Cowley would want to do in the sense of getting the ball um, a little bit forward. But well, without going into them too well, my point really was is that they've got the youngest squad in the championship and they play at a high tempo. And because they've got that young squad who are fit, mobile, can play at that tempo constantly, um, they've been able to cause real trouble for teams in the championship and even against Chelsea in that one they lost in the cup. So... You can see what you can do with a good budget if you can get players to play in a system, a high-tempo, high-octane system that I think could really devastate League One if you could sort of replicate that sort of 
that sort of team. So yeah, I think losing Tom in that sense is not going to be the end of the world. But moving on to Ben Close has been offered a two-year contract, supposedly. Nothing's been announced yet. I think Ben would be a better fit in this team, don't you? In, ter- in terms of um, his makeup and his skills, yes. Absolutely. The range of passing is there. The only concern is, well, there's that always that thing of he goes missing in games. And yeah, that, that's an easy criticism to have of passing midfielders that play a little bit deeper. But it is true. I mean, it, it, he's had three or four very solid games when he came back, it came back in and then he dropped off a bit like the rest of the midfield did. But in terms of the raw skill set, I would uh, I, I would be happy if Ben Close resigns. That range of passing would be very useful for a Danny Cowley side. And he can play at a high tempo as well. Um, his tackles and jewels per 90 is higher than many people would expect. So he gets stuck in more than some people think. But again, it's usually if the midfield dies for Portsmouth, then sometimes Ben Close doesn't get involved as much as I would do. But no, I think overall, if he accepts the two-year deal on reduced wages, that'll be great. But if he doesn't, we'll just have to look for somebody else. Then we're going to come on to Jack Watmore quickly. Let's talk about Jack. We've said what we think about it really in the last episode in great detail. I don't want to repeat myself over this too much on this episode, but Danny Cowley seems quite keen to keep Jack Watmore. There's talk about him going to the championship. You can see why. You can see why this passing ability at the back, he sort of fits into that that uh, formation or that style of play even that Danny Cowley wants to impose on this team or get them playing. So it sort of fits. But for me, once again, with Jack, he's a great player. He passes the ball out well, but you can't necessarily pencil him in with his injury issues that we've had over the season. So I'm very torn. If it was a, a fit and healthy Jack Watmore that played every game and was steady at the back and stuff, you know, I'd be like, get that pen to paper. However, I sort of feel like Jack's still a luxury player within the squad because of his his injuries, etc. So I do feel that maybe it's not going to be the end of the world if Jack moves on and goes to play for either another League One team or potentially in the Championship. In, in Danny Cowley's interview with Andrew Moon on BBC Radio Solent, he was the player he stressed that he wants to keep the most out of the three big names, I would say mentioned that he was, in his opinion, the most consistent during during the Cowley's time at the club. Likes his range of passing, likes his defensive capabilities. He said he would probably be a championship player if it wasn't for the injuries that he's had. I think personally, though, again, it, it, all, it comes down to the pragmatic approach for me. If they can sign him to a reasonable number, I think Porsche should do every, everything they can to keep him. But if a championship club comes in and pays him more, and if he goes there, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be losing sleep over it. But it's exactly the sort of player that Portsmouth need. They need that tall, ball-playing centre half that's strong defensively. Portsmouth have had that since the, since they've been in League Two, since they've been in League One, even League Two below that, they've relied on strong ball-playing centre halves, and that and that at League One and League Two levels very hard to find, in my opinion good ball-playing centre-halves who, who also have the defensive capabilities. But like with so many of the other players, if if, if Danny if Danny Cowley looks at it and goes, we can't offer Jack Watmore X number because a championship team will offer him Y number, then they'll just have to go back to the drawing board and replace him. But personally, 
I do wish I, I would prefer it if Portsmouth re-signed one of Naylor, Watmore, or McGilvery, just for continuity's sake to a certain extent. But I don't see it happening at the moment, to be honest with you. No, neither do I. Let's go over the other players that we've got leaving the club here. Andy Cannon's left the club. Charlie Daniels, Geordie Hwula, Bryn Morris, Taylor Seymour, Duncan Turnbull, um, all released. Andy Cannon sounds like he might want to move back up north as well. Again, not going to, you know, Andy's been a good player for the club, a good squad player for the club who's had moments where he's looked like a first team imposing midfielder and had moments where he's looked like he's, you know, he's not that player for a whole season, at least anyway. I don't think we're going to lose any sleep too much over Andy leaving the squad. I think he'd be a good squad player to have around. But if the Cowleys can recruit someone else that fits more into their their style of play and their ilk, then I'm happy with that, really, with Andy Cannon moving on. Yeah, he's replaceable, isn't he? Even though I do like, I do like how he plays, definitely gets stuck in. Um, what he's way more of a player than his goals and assist numbers adds. He, he, but sometimes the quality hasn't been there. The back injury at the at the end of this season stifled him because he couldn't do what he normally does. He couldn't get stung, stuck in as much. He couldn't get that range of passing down. He wasn't as energetic, so didn't add to Portsmouth's movement off the ball as much as he should have done. I think there are loads of other centre midfielders with that with that ability plus. So if if Cannon wanted to get a multi year deal at a different team, I wish him all the best. He's been a great player, but again, yeah, like you said, I'm not I'm not furious that he's leaving. And then uh, Charlie Daniels, despite my joke in the last podcast to tell you that he'd signed a new contract, has also been released again. I think that's. That's a smart move from a player who looks like he needs to move into coaching, in my opinion, so I'm not going to dwell on that too much. The two goalkeepers, Taylor Seymour and Duncan Turnbull, also gone. Turnbull, not really that impressed with. Yeah, gone to Las Vegas Lights on loan from memory. The team that's famous for dropping tens of thousands of dollars on the pitch during their halftime shows. So that was a little something for you. What? That's better than the Pompey Lottery. Yeah, they do. Yeah, that Las Vegas team, they do all sorts, but they're stereotypically Las Vegas. So they always have like inflatable animals going across the pitch at half time, cash drops, monster trucks going around the stadium, that type of thing. It's a good way of distracting people of the football shit on the pitch, isn't it? <laughs> Bryn Morris is off. Oh, that's just a shocker. Um, again. <laughs> It's not even worth talking about. Alfie Stanley's been offered a new contract. We'll wait and see if he signs. I expect him to go out on loan if he does sign. Alfie definitely needs to get some playing time. You know, I saw him at Bogner this season. He he was struggling to, to you know, get that striker role nailed down. He played wide on both sides. I spoke to Robbie Blake about that. And he said he needs to improve his all-round game. You know, he said his finishing was better than some other Strikers he's seen, even Conor Chaplin of that age. But at the same time, he needs to work on his all-round game. And I do think he would do well to, to nail down a spot and start scoring goals regularly, probably in non-league. Hadji Minoga is going to stay. That's good news as well. Obviously, he's going to be, will he get loaned out? Will he stay at the club? Yeah, Cowley was a bit, um, he wasn't quite sure. It was reported, it reported by Neil Allen in the news a few, a few things ago that basically they, they, they were trying to decide whether... Well, they, they said that Monoga want, needs at least 35 games for his development. It's whether that's at Portsmouth or if it's on loan. I don't see him getting that at Portsmouth next season because Carl Johnson's in front of him and I don't think, barring injuries, he's automatic first choice. 
So but, but if they loan him out, they'll be excellent for his career. And uh, with a recall option in January, bar injuries. But no, Minoga, Minoga's definitely got the physicality for League One football. We've seen that already. He just needs more game time and experience to get the defensive side of the game down a bit more. Yeah, but I'd like to see him play a few games as well. If he did play three at the back, in a wing-back role, effectively, on the right-hand side, I think he could... I uh, think Corsa will go through the back really well. next season. I know, or but four. saying if, we don't know, but if they did do that and he played as a wing-back, I think he could really thrive in that role. He, he's definitely got the capabilities for it physically, being able to go up and down. The only thing that makes me feel, feel a bit weird about playing a back three in League One is how many proper out-and-out wing-backs are there to choose. Because we've seen wingers convert into wing backs, they don't fit because they don't have the defensive aspect. Same the other way, with full backs played on the wing back, they don't go as they don't go forward and don't have the quality of crossing necessary. So I think it's really hard. Personally, back four just makes things a bit easier. Yeah. We'll see. Again, we like everything. We have no idea. We have absolutely no idea what's we going don't. on. Really. We're at this like stale point of the season where people are just getting released and all the crud's being like let out as well and all the transfer like, rumours on Twitter that are nonsense yeah. <laughs> but until players actually come in it's pretty difficult to and we're going to come on next week by the way people listening we're going to start our our transfer um, special so me and Freddie have started our homework already um, and we're going to be doing goalkeepers and defenders next week and then we're going to move on and do midfielders and attackers the week after you know as long as nothing happens, strike a lightning or whatever. So yeah, that, that's that's the plan from there. And then I think when we look at targets, then we'll be able to have, sort of assess the squad and work out where value needs to be added. And hopefully we'll, that will link up with what Danny Cowley wants to do. Moving on to the staff a little bit, away from the players, Freddie. There's been some big news here. Um, you see Joe Gallen today, Jake Wigley, um, and John, I think it's Kelly? Kelly? Kylie? Keely? Keely? The goalkeeper. I'm going to go Keely. I'm the goalkeeping coach. The goalkeeping coach has also been released from the squad. This is a clear out of the structure that's currently at the club. Obviously, Greg Miller came in as the new academy manager. He's been at Barnsley doing their under-23s. He was at Scotland to do the under-18s over there as well for the national side. And he has also managed first team-wise, I believe, in Japan as well. We brought a really high-profile guy here to come in and really change it. And the clear-out has obviously begun. What can we say about this? I'm not particularly worried about Joe Gallen going, you know, enjoy yourself with Kenny Jackett. I'm sure that's what's going to happen. He's going to link up wherever Kenny goes. You know, Jake Wigley's done a good job at Portsmouth, but I think it's time for a fresh face there as well. And I don't know anything about the goalkeeping coach, but with all the goalkeepers going out, apart from Alex Bass, it seems to be a good time to bring someone else in that the management know. Yeah, well, it, it was going to happen, wasn't it? Uh, I liked how Danny Cowley kept Joe Gallen on for, for that continuity when he kept, when him and his brother came in mid-season. Uh, I think taking him out then might have caused, you know, a bit too much, uh, too much disruption to the squad, a bit of a, a, an unnecessary distraction. But I think it was pretty obvious that Joe Gallen would leave at the end of the season and be the assistant manager of Kane Jacket again. I that seemed fairly obvious. And the Cowleys obviously want their new staff in uh, to embed the new philosophy, the new ideas, the new training schedules, everything. You can't do that fully, I don't think, without his own staff. So, I don't, I, again, I don't see any problem with the replacements at staff level. Um, in terms of Greg Miller at the academy, it's a rough one because obviously people were, more, uh, were quite angry, the fact that 
all the youth players got released, and that's not an exaggeration. It's pretty much all of them, um, even though really, with my pragmatic head on, if I look at all the all the youth players, I think I would have made a case for four of them. Um, included this is including Alfie Stanley, by the way. So Rue Bell, Story, and Kavanagh. I think those were the four where I would have thought, oh, we, they if we had a development squad or a B team, they would have got an extra year for various reasons. But um, yeah, it, it's an entirely new direction. And with entirely new directions, you need fresh ideas, don't you? So, And it seems what's happened recently hasn't worked. So they're just changing the personnel, really. Yeah, massively. And I think, I think it's good. I think we need this revolution. We've been calling for it, Freddie. We've been calling for a new team. We've got the new manager first in, signed him up long-term, whatever that means. One year, two, well, not one yeah, year, yeah, two years, Yeah, re- they haven't years. said what his contract is. No, Johnsy's asked him as well, and he's they've been very... Yeah, no, Andrew, Andrew, Andy Moon asked him as well, and he, he was coy with it, which is very strange. I, I don't think I've ever seen that, where they, they haven't said how long the manager's going to be at the club, which is very odd. They say long-term, I've I guess, two, three years probably. Yeah, not short term, like a few months, like before. I'm guessing, or a one year contract would not be said as as a, a long term deal either. So yeah, I'd expect three years. I reckon, Freddie, That's, that would be my guess. But obviously, I'm just guessing there. People, please don't quote that and will at me about it. This podcast is a proud member of the Fan Hub 100. Football without fans is nothing. So we've partnered with Fan Hub to put fans first. Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey. All right, I'm here with Liam from the MK1 podcast. And Liam, thanks for returning to the show. Yeah, no worries. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. It's all settling down now. Um, I won't go into too much small talk since we just do it. And I actually didn't press the record button, which is a massive <laughs> fail on my behalf. <laughs> but there's going to be a, a massive revolution at Pompey. I think it's fair to say all the emotion, missing the playoffs, the drama and all that malarkey's finished. And now we're just sort of trying to get our heads set and, and focus really on next season. Okay, cool. Let, let's focus into the, the part of the revolution that you're sort of, you know a bit about. And it's great for you to have come on the show at such short notice. And Andrew Cullen. Newport's of CEO takes over from Mark Catlin. You know, Mark's done his time now. I think Kenny Jackett's out. Mark Catlin's out. Maybe there's a bit more of a newer school thinking because when I'm when I think MK Dons, I think progressive. I think um, good passing team, building from the back. I think good recruitment. Is that the sort of thing that Andrew Cullen's going to bring um, to a partnership with Danny Cowley? Yeah, it was funny because um, Cullen came from Norwich City in 2008 for us. He's been there since, I've been at Don since. And uh, I believe he was at Norwich when Russ Martin was there as well. So it's kind of a nice connection there. But yeah, I mean, Cullen, I said, was there for us. They're saying he gave 12 and a half years. Um, essentially, he oversaw like the sales, the marketing, and also the football operation, which is probably the bit you're most interested in. And the past couple of seasons, he's been very heavily negotiating or in negotiations with player sales. Um, so, of course, when Russ came in, it was him, um, Andy, uh, Russ, and the head of recruitment, Liam Sweeting, who would sort of head all the deals. And Cullen would be in charge of negotiating all those um, player deals and contracts and of course that's a lot of speculation from Don's fans of the likes of uh, Reese Healy and Alex Gilby moving on etc which uh, to be fair at, at the time wasn't the uh, 
I don't know. It's, it's interesting, and obviously we've gone gone on from then signs of the players. And um, but yeah, I mean Andy has been on very much likes to be on the front foot with players. He's pretty ruthless, to be fair. Doesn't really care too much about um, with the dealings what the fans think in some senses. That's not necessarily a bad thing. He is he's a very business driven man. I suppose that's why he's a CEO now. He's obviously come from executive director at the Dons. Um, and yeah, we'll get on to his sort of way of how he interacts with supporters as well. But yeah, from a business point of view, very driven, very ruthless. And I suppose that's what Pompey need right now with the uh, sort of overhaul that's expected, which is what you touched upon a little bit briefly as well. It's interesting from my perspective because there's been all kinds of talk about Pompey bringing in a sporting director alongside him. Um, obviously, he would have he'd be the top dog and then look for a sporting director. And there's all kinds of rubbish links about people you wouldn't want to get in. And then suddenly, um, Cullen's announced and it said that's on hold until Cullen decides who he wants. He wants to be involved in the process and he wants to be the person alongside Danny Cowley to choose a sporting director. Now, he's done quite a lot of work on your transfers, your negotiations, etc. Do you think it's necessary to have a sporting director or is that the sort of thing that he would do previously at MK Dons? No, not at all. Um, I say it's, I think it's a good fit for Cullen actually with the Cowleys. Um, you know, a bit like Russ, I suppose, both fairly forward-thinking managers who like to play tacking football and have a certain way and that way is really easy for Cullen to understand and with him being in regular communication with Cowleys, yeah, I, th- I said I said to you guys, I think it'd be a match made in heaven, to be honest. And there'll be, I think there'll be some force for seasons to come. Um, of course, this first season is really important for them, you both, as of course you'll be aiming for promotion once again with uh, the sort of club that you are. That's what you should be doing every season. But no, I don't think a spawn director is necessary. I mean, Andy Cullen's got a proven track record of multiple promotions out of this league and other leagues with the Dons. Yeah, he's. I think the, the past few seasons he's proven that he knows what he's doing in terms of negotiation. So it makes a lot of sense for him to make the move now whilst the club is disappointed with losing him and the chairman echoed that the other day. Um, yeah, it made sense for everyone and it's a good move for Andy, in my opinion. You mentioned something earlier that was quite interesting about how he does it, he doesn't get caught up in the perception of what he's doing, he focused on his decision-making itself. That was one of the criticisms of Mark Hatton. And I, I rated Mark Hatton as a CEO. I think he's done an amazing job overall. But one of the criticisms labelled as him, he was too emotionally invested in the side and particularly in Kenny Jackett's management at the end of last season. That was arguably why he didn't get sacked. Do you think he's the man capable of making the tough decisions and not getting emotionally invested on the football side of things uh, yeah I think he'll the whole reason he's going to work with the Cowleys a lot is because the Cowleys had the final say that was very much the same with Russ Martin you know never there's every player will have an evaluation of or evaluation of what they would be sold for and if the clubs meet that evaluation they'll, they'll sell them uh, regardless of how talented the player is um, you know, there was a lot of talk when Russ Martin came in of the replicating the Brentford and Norwich models, which is the massive ROI return of investment. So I said every player has valuation and, and if a club can, you know, put a significant amount of money on the table, then he'll be gone. And as I said at the start, um, with the Healy and Gilby situation, that was that can have a negative impact on the fan base. Um, but as you sort of mess it worked out. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't get caught up too much in it because I think Andy, one of the biggest compliments I can give to Andy while he was at the club was he really cared about the supporters 
and he'd always be in the, the bar in the stadium after the game talking to fans and I think there was a few away trips he went on where he got on the train back with some of the fans while so just chatting to him so he really will care about the club and I feel in his comments that he made on the website the Pompey website um, I can see him doing really well here it's just a case of you know giving him the backing like you have the Cowleys clearly with the contract that they've been given and um, yeah it may not be this season but I think in a couple of seasons you'll definitely see uh, the the work of the trio of the Cowleys and Cullen come into full effect that was a, that's a big thing actually because um even though again Mark Allen got levelled with some criticism he compared to other CEOs around the Football League he was more in touch with the supporters than a lot of others he would do things like do that monthly a monthly roundup Q&A which he hasn't done over the last two months that's probably down to the performances in the end but yeah. do you think do you really think Cullen will get stuck in in the same way with the I'd hope so um, yeah I'd hope so as we did with the Dons um and, you know, Pompey's such a massive club with a big support base, so it makes sense to do that. Um, I'm very surprised if he doesn't. I don't really see why he wouldn't. Um, you know, he's still the same man at the end of the day. He was at the club for us at 12 and a half years, and I'm sure I assume that he wants to be at Pompey for long term as well. So, yeah, I see no reason why he wouldn't do that. Do you think he's a cool dude who's going to be able to handle the emotional roller coaster, which is being the CEO of Portsmouth. I mean, the fans are quite demanding at the moment. You know, they want to get promotion. They want progression. They want to see that next season. Even if it's not promotion, they want to see, well, we want promotion, but if not, it's going to have to show some sort of progress on and off the pitch or as part of some project. Or Do you think he's going to be able to cope with that pressure coming from the Norwich setup and then being in charge with you guys? Um, I think he'd be a foolish man not to be because um, he's taken the job at the end of the day. Um, but no, he's, he's he's very ambitious, Andy. I think, you know, the project we've done, he's pretty much been there since, well, take away the first few seasons, the very start. So he's seen the club progress as it has. And I think commercially also we've been, we've progressed massively, especially in the last couple of years of Andy at the helm and uh, Andy Woolridge, who's, who's kind of his right-hand man on that for the commercial side of things and sponsorships. So yeah, I think the work Andy's done at, at Don's has been I mean, unrivaled really in terms of what I've had previously so yeah there's a reason we got compensated of course for Andy's departure by um, yourselves but I think um, that that compensation will only go so far and um, yeah it's a, real, it's a real shame to lose him um, but yeah I'm sure he can cope with the pressure and um, hopefully he has all success at Pompey Fred have you got any more questions? I think the only thing to, uh, else to say is, it, since a lot of MK Dons fans will be very sad to lose in, is, is, is there a significant moment in his time during MK Dons that made you think he's been the CEO that the club has needed for a long time? Um, I mean, obviously, he's been a part of several uh, promotion campaigns, of course. The most notable one being the one to championship in the 2014-2015 season. Um, but no, I think over the past few seasons, he's really just taking a hold of his role more. I think that's probably why he's got this move to Pompey. Um, for me, he was always more in the background towards the start of his time there. And maybe that's just me. And maybe that was the club at the time that's not really willing to allow him to you know, express himself more in terms of communicating with fans, etc. Um, but yeah, the past few seasons for me, I think he's really stepped up um, on everything, really. Um, I said, as I said, uh, sales-wise, marketing-wise, of course, player negotiation-wise, um, and it, I think it's more prevalent with the fans um, that he's done that. So 
I think that's the most stand-up moment for me, him just connecting with the fans more, trying to, whilst not explain his decision-making, trying to say to fans, okay, this is why, um, well, Russ Martin would say, this is why we did this. And Andy would kind of back Russ up by saying that, yeah, they kill the transactions with players rather than actually like sales and signings. Um, but yeah, I think he's going to be a hard-working man who's going to do, I think, everything he can to make Pompey good. Um, so yeah, I think he's going to give him the backing and um, yeah, hopefully he works out. And last thing is, obviously we're going to, we're going to take Scott Fraser now with us, you know, it's just how, <laughs> it's just how things go, but what other players do you think we'll be taking with us from your place uh, for next, just next season? And what can we look forward to? Well, as always, every player has a valuation in Andy Cullen fashion. So if you meet the evaluation, I'm sure there'll be something going on. Um, but no, as we talk about John Marquise, hasn't had the past couple of days. So we've had a little chats about him. Um, in my personal opinion, I'd be happy to have him at Don's if the right if the prize is right. Um, so I'm sure we'll be talking to Cullen very soon about him, if the rumours are true, of course. Um, but no, listen, I think I think um, Winkerman will be a silly man to deal with Cullen because he knows how good of a negotiator he is. So um, I think you might have to go elsewhere for your players, unfortunately. Uh, I reckon Scott Fraser will be the pumpy shirt. I'll put two quid in it. That's how confident I am. <laughs> I swear we've been talking about him now for about a year and a half. Longer, mate. <laughs> uh, uh, across, to, across two transfer specials as well. We have, yeah. <laughs> Every six months for like two or three years. Oh, well. Maybe it'll happen one day. Liam, thanks for coming on the podcast, mate. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Cheers, mate. <laughs> Let's just go to what people are saying first, Freddie, I think, and we can then we'll loop back on the topics from there. We said, are you happy with the moves the club has made? Are you feeling confident for next season? Thanks, everyone, to message Jim. Really appreciate it, as always. Let's go for it. Third's message is in. He says, the majority of us called to have the whole squad rebuilt, and that's exactly what they appear to be doing. From top to bottom, there have been changes, some of which might not have been entirely wanted, but it dropped but it dropped the wages and gives us a chance to get fresh faces in. Well, we have all asked for it. The majority of us have. We have, certainly. We've asked for, for this revolution. It seems to be in play. I agree from top to bottom there have been changes. There's going to be wage drops. And Freddie, I'm just going to pass over to you because you were talking about an article in the news about those wage reductions. Um, talking to Ronan Curtis's agent. Yeah. Um, Neil Allen talked to... Ronan Curtis and Harry Kavanagh's agent, Amir Dabarbamin, also a Portsmouth supporter, by the way. So that's another collection to the club, where he basically said that wages at the majority of clubs, not only in League One, but also League Two and Championship level, and probably Premier League level, football-wide even, uh, wages are dropping. He mentioned that um, specifically, uh, paraphrasing this, but go and read Neil Allen's article in the news about this, he basically said that he wouldn't surprise me if play, championship players are offered £50,000 a week. Those are the very good ones, obviously. But now players will be lucky if they get £10,000 a week due to their age and position. So that really says all you need to know. Um, the money will be there at certain clubs if they are willing to risk losing a lot of money. Because obviously we uh, every single football club hasn't had match day revenue and all the revenue associated with that for over a year. Now, obviously some people will still poke holes at um, the Eisners because 
of the idea that they're stingy. And over the years, they have been, in my opinion, stingy on certain things. But the amount of money the club has lost is true. There's no hiding that fact. So the club would have lost a lot of money, whether whether the £700,000 a month figure that was quoted in the news is right or not. They would have lost millions of pounds and the and the Arses would have covered that. So Pompey's wage bill is going to be low. Uh, Danny Cowley mentioned in interview with Andy Moon that the, the budget would be competitive, whatever that means. So you could take that at face value. You could, you could say, okay, Portsmouth's budget will be top six. It could be. But the problem comes if clubs around Portsmouth don't do what Portsmouth do. They don't take the, the self-sustainability seriously. They run the club into a fair bit of debt short term, which I don't think any Portsmouth, any Pompey fans want the club to do, uh, no matter what they think about how competitive the team should be. Some clubs will do that. I think Sunderland will do that if they don't go up and they, they were losing 2-0 in the playoffs last time I checked. So I don't think Ipswich will either because of their new owners. But it's going to be very rough. I think if... I think pretty much... I, I would expect any player at Portsmouth to be on the table for a certain amount of money. And if a championship club comes in for any of the players out of contract and offers them high wages, they'll go, won't they? It seems pretty obvious to me. Yeah, it's just the economy at the moment of football, isn't it? It's going to happen. We need to sell players to generate revenue. That's a, that is the case. We're going to need investment as well. But at the same time, we're going to need the likes of Curtis probably to be moved on. It seems most likely at the moment. We will touch on the fact that he's removed Porter from his bio and all that chatter. But the fact is, really, is that those players are going to be moved on, I would expect. So I would be quite and shocked. Also, think, of, think of the depth players who are now on inflated wages. Harrison, Bolton, Downing, Raggett. They will be on wages that players coming in of that level will not be offered. So there's going to, and there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of transfer chess to try and move certain wages off the wage bill for Kelly's bringing his own players. And Pompey may get stuck with certain players because of that money. So we'll just it's, it, again, it, it's it's very financially difficult, and I understand what it's. The roughest balance in acting football is being a self-sustainable football club and being competitive, isn't it? That's uh, but that's balance. but that's what the club has to do. That's that's what the club has to do because, well, we're Portsmouth Football Club at the end of the day, and we should be aiming for promotion out of League One every season. Pompey has a message in. He says fans are getting the clear out they wanted. I'm excited for the transfer window and I fully trust the Cowleys to spend money in a smart way and I'm ready to fully back the team next season. But I would like McGivery to stay, but if he doesn't, I trust the Cowleys and their decision. Well, mate, we have sort of already touched on the bit about um, about Craig McGivery, so we think we're on the same page as you there, Hazza, mate. So that's kind of cool. We are getting the clear out. We both trust the Cowleys as well. To make, to make this a good team that should be pushing for promotion next season. And it is exciting, this summer transfer. It's going to be exciting. And we're going to be here with you to bring the transfer news when it comes and when it breaks. Finley messages in. He says, Portsmouth said how the wage structure and value of players is, signif- is significantly less after COVID. However, we assume it will recover over the next year or so. Does selling our players like Curtis and Marquis really make financial sense when they could be worth more next year? It depends what offers they get. It depends what offers they get. If, it's, if 
if a side comes in for Ronan Curtis, let's say in a range 1.5 to 2.5 million quid with a sell-on fee, he's gone. Obviously, he's gone. That's too much. And that's too much. Really? Do you think it'd be even less than that? Yeah, I do. Mm. In this situation here, I think would be. I think a million quid is going to be a number. I mean, people are talking about potentially players going for eight hundred k around that mark. Think about we bought Marcus Harness around that around that Mm. amount of money. Mm. Um, And I know that you could argue that Curtis has got more goals. Um, per game and things like that the Marcus Harness as well uh, maybe that inflates it a bit but I don't think we're going to be getting close to the £2 million mark for running Curtis and if we did I think that's a steal we should snap the hands off and and sell him Mm. yeah and people say obviously Marcus has been linked to a move away John T. Coleman said that three clubs are after him including Peterborough even though um, Darren McAntony and Barry Fry have both said that's nonsense well you could Take their word with a pinch of salt. You have, you have no idea if they're being truthful or not most of the time, especially when it comes to transfers. If a, t- if a team offers pretty much what we pay for John Marcus, he's gone, surely. Yeah, and I don't think we're going to recoup the value that we got when we bought him from Doncaster. I mean, if we did, that'd be great. But I think it's around the 1.75 million mark. I, I don't know if we're going to be able to recoup that for a striker that if we're looking to buy another striker because we don't think he's good enough to get us out of League One or, or we don't think it fits quite well, the likes of MK Dons, for instance, who have been linked to him aren't going to come in and spend 1.75 million, I wouldn't think, on a No, not at all, now. not at all. I thought, one thing, I thought Marcus was a million with the add-ons on top. That was what it was when Paul's had released their accounts or that's what was put down anyway. But whatever it is, I don't I don't see Marcus being sold for, over, for a mil or over. So it's, Pretty irrelevant at that regard. Yeah, again, I, I, I just assume John Marcus will be here next season, arguably. I don't think anybody will take on his wages. Inconsistent performances aside, most football clubs will just have to keep the players they have and get the best out of them. There are players, aren't there, though, at other clubs who are going to be on inflated wages, as you say, in this, in this football economy situation that we're in. And it might be a case of players... <laughs> being shipped out and taken in at maybe lower transfer values because of their wages that they've got at the clubs currently. You might see a few of these players, I think, being traded round top teams at League One as sort of a, in, a, in a sort of freshen up sort of situation, I suppose, of managers going, all right, I'm going to sell this guy with who's on higher wages and bring in someone else who fits my system who's also on that sort of inflated wage. Maybe that balances out the sort of transfer market of the quality players you get for the certain amount of money. Yeah, I think the, the last thing I'll say about the finances is I don't see Ports are paying a transfer fee for anybody, do you? Even though we hear about the competitive budget given to Danny Cowley, I, th- I just think with the scenario, I don't think a significant amount of money will be spent on transfers. I think they'll just all be freebies and loans, won't you? I don't know. I'm not sure. I think if we get some significant money for some players, if we do... Say we sell Marquis and sell Curtis, just for argument's sake, for the point of this conversation. I think they'll invest some of that money into transfers. I'll be disappointed if they don't. I will be. If, if you need to buy a player, I'm not saying they need to go out and spend millions, but there will be times when you need to pay someone to release a player. Um, and I think that they will, have, they will have to invest some of the money that, that we get in to go out again. Whether that's a balance the book situation where you only spend the money you sell, that'd be quite disappointing. But at the same time, I think we'll have to invest some money in players. So 
I don't think it's just a freeze and loan situation. I do expect us to try and make a move, and at least on some players. I mean, we signed Callum Johnson for what was it, three hundred and fifty k from Accrington, something like that. Two hundred, wasn't it? Two hundred k, yeah. So, not saying that's the only amount of money we'll spend, but I think it's quite clear we're going to have to make some sort of transfer moves in order to get players. I think that will fit in the system. No, uh, Christopher Mert messages in. He says, "I'm well and truly behind the Cowleys." Nice one, Chris. I'm not scared to make hard decisions. All of our players are replaceable. I'm back in the Cowleys to find some under-the-radar gems for us. Exciting times. Freddie, you've looked into some of the Cowley signings, haven't you, for your article in the news? So I was just going to say, are there players and do you expect Cowley to be able to find these gems in the rough, a.k.a. Jamal Lowe coming from Hampton and Richmond? Yeah, I did do work on that, actually. It was good that you mentioned it rather than me, so I don't didn't sound egotistic, like an egotistical prick. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, they, they are proven to have found hidden gems. Um, Alex Woodyard was, was signed from non-league, Concord Rangers, and then brought him all the way up, and he developed from a non-league midfielder to a combative midfielder who didn't look out of place at League One level. Same with Harry Anderson when... He was again signed at Lincoln City and stayed there. Did re- had a lesser role under Appleton, but mainly worked very well with the Cowleys at Lincoln at League Two. Harry Toffolo is the big one who Portsmouth were linked with at one point, taken from Millwall's youth team, played for the Cowleys under Lincoln, sold to Huddersfield for a bit of money in January when the Cowleys went there. And... He's developed into an excellent championship left back. I, I, I was very excited when Ports of Whirling to him, but then my pragmatic mind came to me and I thought, there's no way he's going to Portsmouth, is he? No way he's dropping down to League One level anyway, even though the Cowleys are there. And more importantly than that, it might be the, finding the right loan players as well. Emil Smith Rowe went to Huddersfield and that was his first proper bit of game time. And look, he's gone on to be a Premier League player. Whether you rate him or not is a different matter. But uh, but all of those all, all of those things will have to be used because of the financial impact. They can't. They, they don't have the luxury of being able to spend what Kenny Jacket has spent on players. They know it, it, it's just not a thing. They will have to find diamonds in the rough. They'll have to find players in reserve teams of clubs, players who have been released the right loan players and that's the key one the right loan players because for me certain loan players it's obvious they go they, when they go to a team and play for themselves isn't it I, I don't like it when Portsmouth have too many loan players on the side because well really I think in general they're bound to be slightly more mercurial than permanent players I don't know what you think about that but they have to find the right loan players with the right mentality and fit the squad the uh, squad and the tactical philosophy he's working with there are players you can get on loan who add significant value. And we've got MK Dons on the brain because we're going to talk to Liam, but this is not the right fit because he plays at right. And we've already got two players who can play at right wing back or right back. But you look at what someone like Ethan Laird has done on loan from Man United at MK Dons, the impact he's had on that side. We saw him rip apart uh, Charlie Daniels, not necessarily that difficult, but rip apart our left-hand side when we played against them. And you think that those are the players with big futures who... Danny Cowley needs to speak to other Premier League team academies, etc., championship teams. You, you do think, though, that Danny Cowley has a, maybe a better reputation in football for playing the right way. Maybe that's the kind of manager who you want to send a young player out to 
to be on loan with. Carl messages in, he says, would love what more and close to stay. Jacobs would be cracking under the Cowleys. Basically, a new signing with him being allowed forward, unlike with Kenny Jacket. The main question, why are people concerned about ripping up the squad when we all complain about the lack of quality and consistency? There's always going to be people who are going to moan about stuff, Carl. That's just the nature of football. And it's not necessarily all about moaning. Sometimes it's about debating the point. There's always going to be two sides of the argument. People are very highly emotional, highly charged. They care about the club. They're passionate about it. And some people just don't have a clue what they're talking about. That, that is literally how it comes down to. So ignore ignore the stuff you don't want to see from the people is my advice there, Carl. Hopefully, what more and closer you can stay. Me and Freddie have already talked about that. Jacobs is an interesting one, Freddie. If he can remain fit, he, he could easily fill in on that left-hand side where Ronan Curtis might potentially leave. Yeah, that's the big question, is it, if he can stay fit? When he's had that when he's had that run in the side, he didn't look out of place at all. I really liked his range of passing. I've mentioned that a lot, but that, that's a key thing for any side to be competitive. They have to have a range of passing, accurate crossing for a winger. He was mobile as well. I don't even though he replaced a very mobile player in Rowan Curtis, I didn't think he was out of shape stamina wise. It was just wherever he's fit. It's just wherever he's fit. If it, 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 if he's not fit, that's a, another boat anchor contract which Portsmouth will have to deal with but I think he could potentially be a part of a, a good Cowley side yeah um, it'd be a great option to have uh, if, if it all works out for him Andy Ricketts messages in he says if Craig does leave like we're expecting I feel this could be a bad decision he's been our most consistent player that's the problem player of the season curse and it will be difficult to find a suitable replacement However, the huge shakeup of staff and players is much needed to drive forward the promotion. Play up Pompey. Until it all settles, Andy, it's very difficult to... to it's difficult to analyse whether it's a good or bad move, but we, we have our doubts on, on goalkeepers coming in and how good Craig McGivery was. It seemed like an easy thing to do to re-up his contract, you know, especially when you've got that in place. But it's all about money. And where do you want to spend it? Where, mm. where can we add the value the mm. most? If it's the case that we bring in a quality 25-goal scorer and we play Alex Bass in goal, are, are Pompey fans going to be moaning about it? Yeah, precisely. On the on the promotion point, we won't know roughly where Portsmouth will be until or until the transfer window's done. Until the transfer window's done, we'll have no idea on whether this side can get promoted or not. I think, for me personally, I think Portsmouth are exactly where they are in their first League One season on a jacket, they're at that point where at the moment, before all the transfers come in, what I'm looking for is um, embedding a tactical philosophy, embedding of a long-term plan where it's obvious to fans, look, we're not at, we're not there yet, but we will be in a few years with the right players and the right investment in certain areas. And there just has to be that idea. I think expectations for me personally, I'm not sure if this will be the case for old Pompey fans, are lower than they have been in terms of the necessary need for promotion and challenging for it. But it will be there. The expectations will still be there regardless of how much money Portsmouth have and regardless of what team they put on the pitch. Do you think, Hugh, yourself, that do you think um, it has to be a prerequisite that Portsmouth get in the playoffs next season? Yeah, yeah. Minimum of top six, I think it's got to be. I, I don't think Danny Cowley's going to be targeting any less either. I just don't think that's going to be the case. I think we've underachieved this season, really, considering the players we've had on the pitch. 
I think it wasn't good enough. I think Danny Cowley talks about making a side that Portsmouth fans can be proud of. I, I think you've got to look at this at this next season and go anything but a top six finish would not be a successful season. That's my opinion. Do you, do you disagree with that? Uh, it depends. <laughs> Again, we, we've said it depends a lot. Um, if it comes to the first game of the season, I'm looking at the Pompey side and then looking at some of the other sides. And if Portsmouth are worse, I would be very disappointed if Portsmouth don't get into playoffs next season. But if they show me enough, that'll take the edge off it. I think that's where my opinion would be. I'm just expecting them to build a squad that can that can should be challenging for a top six position or should really be in a top six, six position. When you look at the talent I think we had in the squad, and there's obviously problems with the way that it was coached and with Kenny Jacket earlier on. But this is a team that were top at Christmas through some sort of goal luck as well, you've got to say. But when we're rebuilding a squad, we should be rebuilding a squad, in my opinion, that should be at least finishing in the top six. Chris Harris mentions in. He says the squad wasn't worth saving, but the lack of budget and no youth players coming through as it stands as a testament to what the Isers have achieved. No doubt the Eisner Echo, aka the Snooze, will continue their propaganda. That's one way of putting it. <laughs> sure they'll carry on, but nah, well, a lot of the squad wasn't worth saving. I agree. We said rip it up, Chris. We said that you need to have bold decisions and the club seems to be making it. I'm a big advocate of the academy and I really do think we need an under-23s development squad. We'll see if the club put any investment into that sort of thing. But for me, it's going to be about revamping the squad direction, but not just that, the direction of this football club. We need to make sure that we know what we're doing across the whole team, from the academy up to the development squad to the first team. There's got to be a clear transition from those three areas. Yeah, there has to be a connection, doesn't there? Because yeah. by, all, by all accounts from what we've heard, there hasn't been for a long time. The academy was basically, well, for want of a better phrase, a boys' club, where it, there, there, there was no there was no direction for the academy graduates once they turned eighteen, apart from for the for the ones who were obviously, which you're not going, everybody's not going to be ready for first team football at eighteen. No, and I think this this plan or whatever they're doing right at this moment in time needs to come. You know, maybe I'm being impatient. Maybe I'm sat here with my microphone going, I want a plan right now. But it has to come fairly soon so that we can get a place, a plan in place to recruit the right young players. You don't bring in a an academy manager from a high profile, with a, with a high profile, sorry, to sit on his ass for a year, not do anything. We are going to implement some sort of plan. I'm going to have the confidence that the Cowleys are working together with them to bring in what they think will be a success. We spoke to Danny Cowley on the podcast. He said he doesn't want a player from Portsmouth not growing up and playing at Portsmouth. Well, that means that we have to have a youth academy and, in my opinion, a development squad so those players have a chance to be able to progress. Now, you get the odd, odd, odd exception. Haji Minoga, for instance, makes it into the first team. But not everybody's that physically ready, despite their talent or potential at that age. So we need to get this development squad in. And I'm hopeful that this whole restructure, the new CEO, the Cowleys, the new um, the new academy manager, the clear out of players that upset me at first, I'm hoping they're bringing in a whole new system and a whole new better way for Portsmouth that reaps rewards in the future. Graham messaged in from the Devon Blues. I'm a Devon Blues mate. He says, I'm feeling really excited about next season. Cowley ball, new players, especially if Twine comes. Marquez scoring loads, brackets, maybe that's too much of a fantasy, and travelling up on the Devon Blues, choo-choo, drinking in the Rutland. 
This Saturday, the DBs are meeting in Newton Abbott. Nice one, boys. Back on the beers, meeting up. That's what we like to see. Pompey fans getting together, having a beer, bit of positivity. Let's get behind it. Marcus scoring loads. Well, it could happen. Who knows? Under a new system of new players feeding him the ball. We've, he's, we've seen him do it before. This is what's, this is what's frustrating. He does yeah. score in bouts. They've got the whole summer. I think we still need to bring in another striker, but it might work that actually with different players playing around them, they can find a way to unlock John Marquis. What do you reckon, Fred? My, my opinion on John Marquis seems to change by the day, I think, to be honest <laughs> yeah, with you. Yeah, yeah. Because we, we, we've seen him have quality finishing sometimes, but then there are long periods of spells where he doesn't score. His technique isn't what we paid for. His touch takes away goal-scoring opportunities. I think that's the big thing. He gets into the... What's more frustrating is he gets into the right positions. His movement off the ball is very intelligent and he links up with the wingers quite well. But if there's no service to him, he gets frustrated and then doesn't get involved in the game as much as he should do. And the big thing for me is his touch is not very good, I don't think. His touch takes away opportunities he would have had. And we've seen that multiple times. You could probably make a compilation video of all the... Of all the John, John Marcus t- touches, if you wanted to, I'm not going to be one of those people who writes off entirely because that's a bit ridiculous. He scored 16 league goals. That's not bad, is it? It's just not. It's just not what we expected from him. No, especially since, as we said, he had a lot more chances to score more goals in this team. I think that's what it comes down to, really. Not not goal tally. We've, we've talked about expected goals, but it is also just down to the fact that we can clearly see with the eye test some of those should have gone in when they haven't. Some of them should have been more decisive more clinical, more confident, really, I suppose. When when he goes through on goal, I want to see him have the ball and one-on-one with the keeper, knowing exactly what he's going to do with it, not taking a long touch and then it comes through and he sort of, he looks like he knows less what to do than everyone watching on television sometimes. So it, it can be difficult, but obviously we'll see the summer and we'll come around to, uh, we'll see how John Marquis does. Right, well, I think we've nearly finished up, to be honest, Freddie, for what we're going to do this week before we hit into our hard-hitting transfer episodes next week. So before we finish, I'm just going to say that on Sunday, I'm going to travel down and cover the charity game at the Great Ormond Street game um, down at Airsley Porchester. There's still some tickets on the gate if people wanted to go along. I'm going to be covering it for Pompey News now. I'm going to try and talk to some of the players down there as well who are at the game. Um, that'd be cool. And you've got Benjani going there as well. You've Yakubu playing as well. Um, and quite a few other different players. So it's going to be quite interesting. I'll see if I can grab them as well and have a word. But yeah, get yourselves down there. AFC Porchester on Sunday, kick off at two o'clock. Gates open at 12 and you can grab your ticket on the gate. So hit me up if you need any more information at PO Forecast. Right. Well, that's about all we've got time for. Fred, thanks for coming on the podcast. Always a pleasure, Hugh. And yeah, thank you for the listeners for keep listening to us it's another season this is the end of our third season we didn't expect this to come come this far did we um no. so yeah we're, we'll give you the transfer stuff um our picks for every position we may get some guests on as well so keep an eye out for that uh and there may be more written content on pompey news now depending on depending on my circumstances and the circumstances of other people who want to write stuff about the club over the summer so if you if you're clamoring for for more stuff um the podcast and the website will be around so you can get your teeth stuck into that so yeah Hugh again it's been a pleasure and we're always looking for talented writers in that sense so if you want to get involved 
hit up Freddie. He's he's in charge of writing. You know, I, I do all the editing for the podcast. Freddie's involved with the writing stuff. But you can you can message any of us. But all right. And until next time, play up on Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!